This is uh, message number eight in a 10-part series, and uh, the 10-part series is uh, about uh, beliefs that uh, I hope that you will <clears throat> have established in your heart. Let me tell you very quickly about next Sunday. Um, I will be here next Sunday, but I will not bring the message next Sunday. We have a special guest who uh, is probably traveled as far as anyone ever has <clears throat> to come and speak for us. He's come from Kenya and uh, Mombasa, Kenya, and I'm talking about Jim Horn, uh, one of our uh, member of our missionary family, a very uh, interesting man. He and Susie will be here. <clears throat> and Jim will be bringing the message, and I hope <clears throat> that you will be here, and let's have a really uh, good attendance next Sunday to hear uh, Jim Horn as he brings the Word to us, but also tells us what's been going on in Mombasa. I'll tell you this, uh, the work that they have done there is just absolutely phenomenal, and uh, I, uh, I could not be... Um, uh, the word shouldn't be proud, but I'm going to use it. I could not be more proud of, of any two missionaries than I am <clears throat> Jim and Susie Horn. Just a great, great work. Also remember this, next Sunday is Time Change Sunday, and it's Fall Back Sunday. So that means that you get an extra hour of sleep. I know that you're going to make up for some sleep um, uh, during the service here, but... Uh, <clears throat> That was a joke. Uh, <clears throat> I know that uh, you lost a lot of sleep last night. Well, you get an extra hour uh, next week. So I hope you'll remember that and set your clocks accordingly Saturday night. The title of the message today is Eternal Salvation. One distinctive of being a Baptist is the belief that <clears throat> once we are saved, we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. One cannot be lost and then saved and then lost again. Uh, you may have heard somebody say, you Baptists believe once saved, always saved, don't you? Well, the answer to that is yes, that's what Baptists believe. Now, uh, <clears throat> there are a couple of Baptist groups that do not believe that necessarily. Uh, there's a group of Baptists known as General uh, Baptist, and uh, they do not believe in eternal security. I had a friend many years ago, he was a singer in a gospel group, and he came from a general Baptist church. And I asked him, <clears throat> I said, Thomas, what do, do general Baptists believe? He says, well, we believe in, in backsliding, and we practice it. And I said, okay, all right, <clears throat> thank you very much. Uh, there's another group of Baptists known as free will Baptists, and they do not believe in losing their salvation, but they believe that a person, that salvation is a total act of the free will. So you can renounce your salvation just as you can uh, possess or profess your salvation in Christ. You can <clears throat> go in or out of the door. And I don't mean to be trite with this. You can go in or out of the door of salvation because it's all free will. That's when you see a free will Baptist church, that's the distinctive of a free will Baptist church. Now, I'll have to be honest and say that I've known a lot of free will Baptists. And I have, in, coming from Nashville, and that's where their main college is, is in Nashville. I have spoken uh, many times at the free will Baptist college. And... Um, they, and I've shared with them <clears throat> that I've 
while I respect that they're free will Baptist, I've never known a free will Baptist to will themselves out of salvation. And uh, they laugh a little bit. And then I say, neither do I know anyone who knew anyone who willed themselves out of salvation. And they pretty much agree, but they think that it's possible. And so that's why they refer to themselves as free will Baptists. With the exception of these two groups and maybe some that I don't know about, uh, Baptist, a Baptist distinctive is a belief in the eternal security of salvation. And it's not just Baptists who believe that. There are a lot of people who believe that, uh, that, that once we are in Christ, it's, it's, we refer to it sometimes as the perseverance of the saints, that we will uh, remain saved uh, once we trust Jesus Christ. But uh, with the exception of these two groups, uh, I think that, that most people uh, that are Baptists believe in eternal security. Now, I will say this, most people who believe in eternal security do not know why they believe in eternal security or eternal salvation as I've, I've, I've rendered it today. I, I want to give you from the Word of God uh, this, and then we'll talk about it today. First John chapter 5 and verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I want to give you two very simple points in the outline today. Here they are. First of all, no reason to doubt and then every reason to believe. That's the outline. Now, there's more within the outline, but that's the general outline. No reason to doubt, every reason to believe. Let's start with no reason to doubt. There is something that we call the salvation experience. Now, that's the way that we refer to it. The salvation experience is not when we join the church. That's a church-joining experience. The salvation experience is not when we get baptized. That's a baptism experience. The salvation is not a... Uh, uh, when we begin to live better, that is a living better experience. Salvation is only one thing. We used to teach it around here, F-A-I-T-H, faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's the experience of salvation. Some people hear a message like this, and they know that there is a struggle within themselves Because there's never really been a time when they turned from sin and self and they trusted Christ only. They trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe some of you, maybe some who are watching through live streaming today are saying, all right, he's going to talk about something that I've always struggled with. I've always struggled with that there's not been a time in my life when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, when I knew that I was, as the Bible says, born again. A while back, I had lunch with a man who frequently attended our church, and during the meal, he mentioned to me that he was interested <clears throat> in how I spoke of a point in time at a, uh, that a person became a believer. 
And we talked about this and, and <clears throat> talked about Jesus saying uh, that we must be born again and, and how it was a simple uh, yet undeniable point in time and uh, to draw that line in our state of our faith and say, I know that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so after lunch, I said, would you like to draw that line in your life? Would you like to have that time in your life where you know for sure that you have trusted Christ only? He said, I really would. And we were by this time standing at the front door of the restaurant and uh, his truck was parked there. I said, let's sit down in the cab of your truck and let's, let's uh, give you the opportunity to do that. And in the cab of his truck, he did what Jesus said to Nicodemus, everybody must do. He was born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so that day, right after lunch, uh, in the cab of his truck, uh, he drew a line in his life and said, this is the day that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. Now, that being said, one of the most common problems that Christians have is in doubting whether or not they are truly saved. And just about all of us have had a doubt about our salvation. I usually say all of us have, but uh, when I do, there's somebody that will come to me and say, no, I've never had a doubt. And so I now say just about all of us, just about all of us have had some point in time where we doubted our salvation. And chances are that most everyone here, every one of you, probably has had some doubt about salvation. Now, why does that happen? Why do people who have no reason to doubt still doubt their salvation? I want to give you several reasons for this. The first one is a youthful profession. A lot of times people are saved when they're very, very young and they have a youthful profession and for some reason it is muddled in their lives. You say, well, then we shouldn't allow children to trust Jesus Christ. We should make them wait until they are older. Well, that's not what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that might, that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, that is to his disciples, let the children come to me, do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in it. Now that tells me two things. One is that to be saved, we must come to a place of personal humility that we must say, all right, I can humble myself long enough to make sure that I have been born again, that I have trusted Christ. Secondly, it tells me that children can and are saved. Now, sometimes children uh, who are saved, they have doubts about their salvation at a later time. Why do they have doubts about their salvation? Why is it that a child who is saved at an early age. I was saved when I was eight years old. I have children that were saved at five and six years old. Why is it that people who are saved at an early age sometimes have doubts about their salvation? Let me just ask this. How many of you were saved, you trusted Jesus before you were a teenager? Would you raise your hand? You trusted Jesus before you're a teenager. Many, if not most people who are born again did so before they were a teenager, many in their teen years and very few in their adult years. Although uh, anybody can be saved if they humble themselves as a child. Now, why do people have a tendency to doubt their salvation when they were saved as a child? Well, these are very practical reasons. Number one, memory fades. Uh, When our children are saved at an early age, they have difficulty sometimes 
because to remember their salvation experience. Now, I've told you about this before. I'll tell you again because I love saying things over and over again and because uh, I can't remember new things, so I say all the old stuff again, all right? I'm just glad that I can still recall it. Now, when my children were saved, when our children, I should say, Jan's the one that actually had them, when our children were saved at an early age, we established something that we called a spiritual birthday. How many of you have heard me talk about this? Would you raise your hand? All right. We have established a spiritual birthday. I believe every parent ought to do that. I believe every grandparent ought to do that. Establish a spiritual birthday. That is a time when we celebrate that they were born again. Uh, if, If a child is born and just born into this world and no one ever celebrates that child's birthday, and the child lives to be two and three and five and 10 and 20 and 40 and 50 years old, and you ask them, when is your birthday? They would say, well, I don't know. And why would they say that? Because it's not celebrated. Not because they weren't born, but because it wasn't celebrated. And so it is celebrated every year. And so they know when their birthday comes around because it is celebrated. By the way, having a birthday doesn't make them more born than not having a birthday. They were born on their day of birth, but they celebrate their day of birth by having a birthday. So it is with the new birthday or the born again day. And so we celebrate the born again day. Uh, Jan, I believe Paul's is coming up. Is that correct? Paul's is coming up in in just a a couple of weeks. And we'll go over to to Jacksonville and uh, we will go out to dinner and we will give to Paul... One dollar for give him a card and give him one dollar for every year that he's been saved. Now we've done that ever since our children uh, were born. <clears throat> they were all saved at a young age. Now uh, they're getting uh, more money than they used to get. But we rejoice in giving them a dollar for every year that they're saved. And don't you think for a minute that they don't know when their spiritual birthday comes around? Now, does it make them more saved? No, it doesn't make them more saved. It just helps them to celebrate that which has taken place in their lives. We do the same thing with Lindsay, uh, and, and we, we know the time that she was born again. Uh, my wife's born-again birthday is April the 15th, tax day. April the 15th, 1973. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But that was her <clears throat> born-again day. So sometimes children who have an early profession of faith, uh, they have doubts about their salvation, not because they get unsaved, but because their memory fades, or because maybe the change is weak. They're changed. They, they, <clears throat> they don't have a radically changed experience. You know, you, you, uh, some people, they're alcoholics and drug addicts, and they live terrible, terrible lives, and they get saved, and everything changes. But when a child gets saved, they pretty much wander in sin from sandbox to sandbox. So they don't have a deep change. I, that, that happened with our son, Paul, who is about to celebrate his spiritual birthday. Uh, one Sunday years ago, <clears throat> when I preached on the rapture, he was unsettled. That's Paul when he was a little kid. Wasn't he cute? He was cute as he could be. He is not nearly that cute now, but he was, <clears throat> he was cute as he could be. <clears throat> and he professed salvation at uh, the age of five, I think it was. Could have been six. <clears throat> so he pretty much grew up knowing uh, about salvation. And because of this, his understanding of life <clears throat> change was not what others had. And, and 
So I preached a message on the rapture, and it really shook him up. And uh, he came <clears throat> to me, and he said, Dad, I, I'm just not sure about salvation. And I said, what do you mean, son? He said, I'm just not sure. He said, you preached, and I remember him saying this. He said, <clears throat> you preached about the rapture, and he said, I can't risk it. That's what he said. I can't <clears throat> risk it. I said, all right then. And so we sat down, and uh, as a teenager, he prayed again and <clears throat> receiving Jesus Christ as his Savior. And then I asked him, I said, now, Paul, tell me, were you saved now or were you saved <clears throat> when you were five years old? And here's what he said. He said, well, Dad, I think that I was saved when I was five. I know that I'm saved now. And that was a really good way for him to understand that. Uh, it's one thing to say that you're saved. <clears throat> it's another thing to know that you're saved. And everyone should know that they're saved. Our text said in verse 13, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Sometimes when children are saved, they come to fear it later because the change was weak. But there's another reason for youthful professions causing problems for, the, the, um, <clears throat> for some, and that is the counsel is not careful. Sometimes people are not careful in counseling with children. This happened to my wife. Uh, she went forward in, in her church <clears throat> as a child. And I've heard her tell this many times. All the other children were going forward. They had some sort of a meeting. All of the children were going forward. And before she knew it, <clears throat> she was up there. And the next thing she knew, she was in the baptistry. And the next thing she knew, uh, she had been recorded as a decision. And she never met Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. She went through the process of going forward, of standing with kids, of answering questions, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> of being baptized, and yet not knowing that she was born again. And it was not until April the 15th, 1973, that she came to an understanding of sin and salvation, and on April the 15th, 1973, she got saved. I remember it like it was yesterday. <clears throat> we were going to join a church, and, and it was the first church that we were going to join together as husband and wife, and they gave the invitation. This was the Sunday before Easter, 1973. They gave the invitation, and I looked to her, and I said, are you ready to go and, and, get, and join the church? <clears throat> we had agreed that we were going to do so, and she said, uh, no, I'm not, and I thought, well, why aren't you ready? And she began to cry, and I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And I remember that I took her, <clears throat> there's a lot more to be said to this story, but I'll, I'll just shorten it. I stepped out in the aisle, I took her by the arm, and I put my hands at her back, and I pushed her forward. <clears throat> and I said, go get saved. And Mrs. McKinney <clears throat> led her to Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, well, I just don't want to pressure anybody into getting saved. Let me show you how I did it. I'm glad that I did. <clears throat> Jan, are you glad that I did? Yeah. You going to hell today? No. You're going to heaven if you die today. I don't want you to die today, but <clears throat> if you do, I'll see you in heaven. Look, <clears throat> sometimes people have a difficult 
experience because there was no good counsel for them. There is no excuse for a church having inadequate counsel regarding salvation. It is not, salvation is not filling out a form. It is not getting baptized. It is helping someone to understand the gospel and put all faith in Jesus Christ. Why do some people doubt? Well, some people doubt because of a youthful experience, and there are many reasons that they doubt because of that youthful experience. Let me give you a second reason that some people doubt. Because of uncertain authority in their lives. Who is the ultimate authority? God. God is the ultimate authority in all of life. Where do we learn about God's authority from all the other authority that we experience in life? We learn to respond to God's authority by the way that we responded or the way that we've seen other authority in our life. If our authority figure in our formative years have an unusual quirk or a weakness or an unusual strength or whatever, we tend to transfer our response to God, to, to them, <clears throat> to God. For instance, if you saw your parents as being inconsistent, you'll more than likely fear that God's love will be inconsistent in your life because that's what you've learned about authority. Sexual abuse of a child, alcoholism of a parent, rage in the home. There are a number of home problems that will cause a child to develop a false sense of what their heavenly father is really like. Women, and, and I'm just saying this because it's the truth. Women have trouble with their trust in God, often have trouble with their trust in God because of the improper actions of a father or another person in authority. If the statistics are are true, that one out of every three girls are sexually abused by someone they trust, then there's no wonder that many have trouble seeing the love of God in its pure and true light. Still others have only known weak authority figures, and they they can't get past that. It's hard for them to see the strength of God any differently than they've seen any other strength in their lives. I want to help you with that, by the way. If, if you are a man or woman, if you're someone who had a, uh, an authority figure in your life who represented a certain way and caused you to think a certain thing about God, I want you to understand that God is not subservient or subject to, to how that authority figure modeled authority in your life. God is God. There's two things to, to get. First of all, God's not exactly like any authority that we've ever known in our lives. He is consistent. He is strong. He is <clears throat> merciful. <clears throat> he is always looking out for our good. He would never abuse us. God never would, ever. That's the first thing. Here's the second lesson. Those of us who are parents or grandparents or in authority, we have to remember that we are casting, precasting a mold for our children's view of God. And they may have to overcome the precast that we have for them. There are things about my father that caused me to look at God in a certain way. And quite honestly, I embrace so many of those things, but I've had to overcome a couple of those things because God is perfect and my father wasn't. 
My sons will have to overcome some of those things because God is perfect and their father isn't. So why do people have trouble doubting their salvation? Well, some because of a, a youthful profession, some because of uncertain authority, and, and some because they just misunderstand depravity. They don't really understand the depravity of man. Some Christians don't understand how they get saved and then sin again. Well, I thought I was saved, and I, then I sinned, and I had this awful thought, and I did this bad thing. I thought I was saved. Or they hear somebody else say, and you call yourself a Christian. You ever heard somebody say that? And you call yourself a Christian. Let me help you with something. This is, here's some bumper sticker theology. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And that's the truth. Sometimes those bumper stickers are good theology, and that's good theology right there. Here's what we have in this room today. We have, I, I, and I'm so glad that you're here. We had come to this service today, some really sinful people. (laughs) We did. (gasps) Preacher, who is it? You? Me? All of us? All of the above? We're going to get in our cars and we're going to drive out into a sinful world and we're going to swim in a sea of sinful people? And we're all sinners, every last one of us. We're sinners saved by grace. Salvation didn't rid me of sin. It forgave me of sin. It ridded me of sin as far as God is concerned. I'm justified. Remember that last Sunday? God saw me just as if I'd never sinned. Not only that, he imputed to me the righteousness of Christ. But the reality is I still sin every day, every day. Man, you got it made then. (laughs) You're saved and can sin. All right. Now, it's kind of miserable because I'm saved and do sin. Here's what 1 John 1, 8 says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to open all of the doors for you to exit at the close of the service. Every door we're going to open for you to exit at the close of the service. And I want only the sinners to go out those doors. Those of you who are not sinners, I want you to go through this door. You say, where does that lead? Nowhere. You know why you should go through this door? It's because you really don't understand it. You don't get it. We're all sinners. All of us are sinners. Let me give you another quick reason. Some people doubt their salvation because they had a confusing experience. Their experience was not like everybody else's. They're, they're <clears throat> people are perfectly satisfied with their salvation until somebody else talks about their salvation. And then, oh, no, I'm not really saved. I mean, they, <clears throat> it, just, it just tears them up. Somebody talks about their salvation experience. and Boy, I remember when I was a kid. Oh, man. I went to one of these churches where people gave these testimonies of salvation, and they were phenomenal. I remember like a thousand-pound weight was lifted off me. Man, why? It was just, I felt so light I could walk on it. And people talking, oh, mercy. 
And it just, it messed me up for a long time. I kept trying to get what they got. Okay, Lord, take a thousand pound weight off of me. Son, you only weigh 60. And finally, I was eight years old, and you remember me saying this. I said, God, I'm just a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. Salvation came to my soul at that point. Don't get your salvation experience confused with somebody else so that you think that you're not really saved. What if we treated marriage like this? A few years ago, I performed the wedding ceremony of of, uh, Jim and and, uh, Biddle and Krista uh, Horton Biddle. They had been friends in college, and they reconnected on Facebook. They were married in the church that Jan and I were married in 40 years almost to the day prior to, to their wedding ceremony, the Eastland Baptist Church on Gallatin Road in East Nashville, Tennessee. They were married on September the 1st. Jan and I were married on September the 2nd, um, 40 years <clears throat> earlier. So the night that I did the wedding ceremony for uh, Jim and Krista was the night of the wedding rehearsal 40 years earlier for Jan and myself in that exact same place, in that exact same building. All kinds of things happen at weddings. You, You don't base the validity of your marriage on the emotion or the experience of your wedding or somebody else's wedding. People are people are married under all kinds of circumstances and with all kinds of pomp and circumstance and sometimes with no pomp and circumstance. I have a sister who was married in a lumber yard. And I knew it wouldn't last. Get it? Would? Wouldn't? That just came to me. I should have kept it. Uh, Salvation is a faith experience. We can't compare the particulars of our actions or reactions to that of others. It is a birth experience. Births are greatly, vary greatly, but the results are the same. A child is born. So it is with being born again. I, I want to give you a couple of more, and I've got to hurry here because I've got to get to the last point. Inadequate exercise. I want you to think of your faith as a muscle. Some people just don't exercise their faith muscle. In 2 Peter 1 uh, through 4, it tells us that, that we are to add certain things to our lives. I'll pick up in <clears throat> verse 5. And it says, uh, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and so forth and so on. And then it goes down to verse 9 and it says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. We can become so stagnant that we forget that we were saved. Have you ever sat on the couch and sat on the couch and sat on the couch and said, man, I got to work out. I've been sitting around too long. And so you up and you go to the gym and the next day you go, oh, I didn't realize I had a muscle there or there or there. I mean, your earlobes hurt. You know why? Because you didn't exercise who you are. 
And some people, that's the Bible says, you forget your salvation if you don't exercise your salvation. Oh, there's a, a cure for that, and it's given in 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Fall what? Fall in the knowledge of your salvation. Let me give you one more thing, and then we'll move on, and that is false hopes. Some people just truly are not born again. Many people are truly are not born again. And, and could I say this to you? I believe most everyone who knows that everyone who is not truly born again knows that they're not born again. I really believe that. I, I've had it to happen over the years. I've had some of you that I'm sitting looking at right now, you've come to me and you've said, I have not really been born again. And, and I can remember the time. I, 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 there's a lady sitting right here. I remember you came to my office and we talked about this, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, and I will never forget that bright smile on your face after you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'll never forget it. Because you had known for years that you weren't truly born again, and all of a sudden you got it settled in your life, and it changed everything. Well, that is the point to the first part of the message. No reason to doubt. Let me give you very quickly the second part of the message, every reason to believe. If there's no good reasons to doubt, then why should we believe? Well, first of all, we should believe because the foundation of our salvation is secure, absolutely secure. The foundation, if you're, the foundation of your salvation was baptism and you were baptized in polluted water, that may not be secure. If the foundation of your salvation was doing good works and you did good works, but all of a sudden you didn't do good works, that, that wouldn't be secure. If the salvation, if your salvation was based on any number of things that can change over time, it wouldn't be secure. However, there is a secure foundation of your salvation, and that secure foundation is described in Romans 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Everything about salvation rests in Jesus Christ. Everything does. You remember last Sunday when I illustrated how that the Old Testament saints were looking to uh, the Savior. Uh, the New Testament saints saw the Savior. We look back on the Savior, and <clears throat> it is all based on Jesus Christ. To have salvation and then lose it would have to mean that there's something wrong with the basis of your salvation. And the basis of salvation is Jesus Christ. He is the absolute 100% satisfaction for your sin. Both 1 John 2.2 2 and 1 John 4.10 and other things tell us that Jesus Christ is the satisfaction for your salvation. The Father is satisfied with him. You say, well, I just don't think God is satisfied with me. Well, maybe you're right, but here's the beauty. If you're saved, he's satisfied with Jesus. I'm not satisfied with me. If I were God, I wouldn't take me to heaven. 
The only reason that I'm going to heaven is because there is something within me for that, for, that God is satisfied, the Father is satisfied with, and that's the Son, Jesus Christ. When I was eight years old, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm satisfied, says the Father. But at 10 years old, I was such a little brat. You have Jesus, I see that. Don't want you to be a brat, I want you to be nice. You have Jesus, I'm satisfied with Jesus. When I was a teenager, I was a mess. You have Jesus. And don't you forget that you have Jesus. I'm satisfied with Jesus. You get your life conformed to him. When I went to college, I drove my daddy crazy because I had long hair and and did all of that stuff that my daddy hated. Your daddy doesn't like that, but I want to tell you, you had my son Jesus, and I'm satisfied with Jesus. When I feel guilty about how I live, he's satisfied with Jesus. I don't want to live just any way that I want to live. I want to please the Father. But I want to tell you this, the Father is satisfied with Jesus even though I'm a sinner. So we are absolutely have every reason to believe because of our secure foundation very quickly because of the secure transportation. You know how we got saved? We got saved by a gift. This is a beautiful thing. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Underline that. If you're looking on your iPhone, highlight it. Uh, Do something. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one could boast. Faith is indestructible. And do you know why it's indestructible? Because it is a gift from God. Confidence is built on logic, reason, and experience. But faith is a gift from God. When I exercised my faith as a little boy and I said, God, I'm just a little boy. I don't know what to do. Save me. Listen, not only was salvation a gift from God to me and the Son of Christ a gift to me, but the faith that I was, had to exercise my belief in Jesus was a gift for me. I didn't have anything to do with it. If we had more time, I'd have an old-fashioned shout and running fit right now. I'm telling you, it's all wrapped up. God gave me salvation, and he gave me the faith by which to receive salvation. Well, what'd you do? I took what God gave me. And you did too if you're saved. And very quickly, it's secure in its dimension. You know what salvation is called? Salvation is called eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, how long is eternal? Eternal is just, well, it's eternal. Uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John 5, 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. It's impossible to get anything less than eternal life from eternal life. God says, I'm going to give you eternal life. How long can I have it? eternally. 
Yeah, but how long will that be? Eternally. Yeah, but I don't really get that because I understand I'm eternal. You're not. You're finite. But I want you to know that when you die, you can understand that eternal means eternal. One more thing and we're done. Secure declaration. We're just told that our salvation is secure. Why do we have every reason to believe? Secure foundation, secure transportation, secure dimension, and secure declaration. This is so awesome. Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Look, there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to lose in life. I have lost money that I've invested. I have lost value that I thought would hold. I have lost things that I never found again. There are so many things that I've lost and you've lost. You have a storm. You lose a big tree that you love so much. But you know what you're never going to lose if you got it? eternal life. It's safe and secure. Do you have it? Do you have eternal life? Well, Pastor Ray, I try to be a good person. I appreciate that. I truly do. But the Bible says it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Receive the gift of eternal life. Don't allow yourself to be in question about it. Receive it and receive it today.